You're listening to the Gateway Franklin Church Podcast. To learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, including our service times here in Franklin, Tennessee, visit us online at gatewayfranklin.com. And now, here is this week's message. So, I got it. This week and next week left in this lead-up series. Um, then we have a couple special things happening. A, a university choir from Lee University is going to be with us and have, have a service in a couple weeks. And then our um, missionary friend to Greece, Jameson Creel, will be with us that last Sunday of February. That's going to be special. I saw some posts today where the, the ministry center that they kind of rented um, by faith, uh, ministering to these refugees, mainly, he says, right now from Gaza. Um, he said, you know, you can't even get into Gaza because of Hamas. And yet he's got this room filled with people that they're trying to find a secondary place to begin meeting with them. It's just amazing, amazing stuff. And he'll be with us the last Sunday of February. So in, in these last two on lead up, today I want to just give you a little summary that we, we've formed this message around three Bible verses, four movement quotes, three lead up hurdles, six lead-up circles, and one life calling. Um, and it's been interesting to me that I, I, don't, I don't back into this stuff. It's just kind of how it start, has built out. And so um, these become the core of this, this message series, this call that I believe God has for us as a church in terms of leading up this year. Here are the Bible verses out of Psalm 78, 70 through 72. He chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheep pens from tending the sheep, he brought him to be the shepherd of his people, Jacob, of Israel, his inheritance. And the key verse we've kind of honed in on is, And David shepherded them with integrity of heart, with skillful hands, he led them. Here are the four movement quotes. Maya Angelou, you can't really know where you're going until you know where you have been. That kind of ends up linking up with our sheep pens message that I did. Ken Blanchard, knowing where you're going is the first step to getting there. Um, where are we trying to get? I believe we're trying to get to integrity of heart and skillful hands. There's the target. There's what we're after. And this is what happens when you don't do that. Yogi Berra, if you don't know where you're going, you might end up someplace else. Right? So if we don't know we're heading after integrity of heart and skillful hands. How are we going to get there? And this was mine. There are no shortcuts to worthwhile destinations. The destination dictates the journey. Spiritual leadership, spiritual discipleship is a long haul process. Don't get lulled to sleep or get bored in the process. Don't get, find yourself in a place where you don't think you're getting anywhere. This is a long haul process. And if you put yourself in the process, you will get there. Now, then I identified three lead up hurdles, three things that oppose all of that. One is that Satan opposes all God movement. Any God movement in your life, any movement that you're going to make towards him, towards his call, always going to be opposed. Second, the leaders with the most potential rarely realize it. You sit and you keep believing the voices that tell you that you're not enough or that too much has already gone on in your life or you're too old or you're too young or you're too this or you're too that, that those things, those things are lies. And I would say that it, probably what it does is identify the greatest potential in you if you will not listen to those voices. And the third is it's easier to go with the flow than lead a movement. Anytime you step up with spiritual integrity and skilled hands, someone's gonna criticize you. 
Someone's going to tell you to get back in your lane. Someone's going to tell you you're barking up the wrong tree, um, but do it anyway. And so there's six leadership circles, six places in our lives where, where God is calling us to lead up in. Circle one is our self. Every, all leadership begins with yourself, okay? Self, then family, church, community, workplace, and world. This is the rock and the pond and the concentric circles of how you influence and impact the people around you when you make integrity of heart and skillful hands around becoming a disciple of Christ, your main goal, which the life calling peace, spiritual leadership is spiritual discipleship. These things are hand in hand. All of your doing will always flow from your being. All doing flows from being. So when we pay attention to our being, it has impact on our doing. This is why spiritual leadership, this activity of leading, will flow out of at, at the, uh, the more we become a disciple, a disciple of Christ. So we pursue Christ in discipleship, then you just can't block the leadership that he wants to use you in, Okay? And David shepherded them with integrity of heart and with skillful hands, he led them. I'll turn my attention today on the skillful hands piece. Skillful hands is a mastery of understanding and execution coupled with a heart dedicated to learning and preparing. Okay, skillful hands is the mastery of understanding and execution coupled with a heart dedicated to learning and preparing. This would be the opposite of winging it. Winging it. Gina would challenge me when I was a student pastor. I could talk in front of anybody on any subject at, any, at a drop of the hat. Okay, I just could. And she would challenge me during, when I was a student pastor. She would say um, something to the effect afterwards is, um, I think you just winged that one. I didn't hear you talk very much about that message. I didn't see you pray much about that message. I didn't see a lot of notes around that message. I think you just winged it. Well, you don't have to get up and preach any length of time before when you know you've winged it, right? You, you do it on occasion, but they are far and few between because of how you feel when you're finished, all right? Now, what if we applied all of that into our spiritual leadership, or discipleship, are you winging it? Or is there, in, is there intention to it? Or is there, is there targets to it? Um, the old joke, uh, how do you get to Carnegie Hall applies here, right? Practice is how you get to Carnegie Hall. The world is filled with people who want mad skills, but fewer people who are humble enough and willing enough to put in the work of learning and growing and practicing being skillful. Bobby Knight, the infamous basketball coach, the University of Indiana, um, who, by the way, there's several leaders I will quote today, and it seems each of those had their own integrity of heart issues that they crashed with, all right? But let's circle. Bobby, Bobby Knight was asked, how important is the will to win when he was looking for a player? How important is the will to win? He said, the will to win is overrated. Don't give me a kid with the will to win. Give me a kid who wants to prepare to win, right? Everybody wants to win. The question becomes, how much are we willing to work 
for the win. The prep for the game happens a whole long time before we get to the game. Um, In his book, Outliers, Malcolm Malcolm Gladwell popularized the 10,000-hour rule. I say popularized because he was building off research of Herbert Simon and William Chase. And Gladwell concluded that success at a high level is not possible with some innate talent, but that achievement plus talent, uh, or achievement is talent plus preparation. All right? And he goes on to say that the closer that psychologists looked into this, the more they found out that innate talent was actually the smallest component of these highly successful people. It was the preparation. And they were studying uh, chess masters and other kind of things. And 10,000 to 50,000 hours was what was put in to those people that, that the world had already identified as experts in a number of these fields. Um, it just takes, and so with that said, with that said, what kind of time, what an energy do we put into becoming a disciple? And what kind of time and intentionality of energy do we put in being a spiritual leader? I think we would all agree that our whole world lacks leadership. Definitely it lacks integrity of leadership, Right? And then you look at some of the things that are done and decided on, what from your workplace, maybe to your family, to our world, and you go, what were they thinking? And it's not just armchair quarterback and stuff. It's not, some of it's not just because we don't have all the information, right? And so, so there's, yeah, there's plenty of people that want to be leaders. Are there enough people that want to put in the time and the prep to be a leader? Um, Bill Hybels, the founding pastor of a church called Willow Creek. Willow Creek in the 80s and 90s was the premier church in America. And the reason being is because Bill Hybels started on a different thinking plane than everybody that had gone before him. He had noticed that the boomers had exited the churches. Now, today's my birthday. I am, oh, please, Georgetta. So, so um, I, born in 1964, you can do the math. I am the youngest boomer, okay? We had this conversation. Harry's the oldest boomer. We were bookends, right? The boomers were leaving the church in droves where their, where their uh, builder parents attended and built, and the boomer was out the door. And Bill and his team tried to put their finger on why that was happening. And interesting, one of the books that came out of that church during, the, during those early days was written by an investigative journalist named Lee Strobel who wrote Case for Christ and then Case for Everything Else. And they wrote this book that was called Inside the Mind of Unchurched Harry and Mary. It's a fabulous book. I still have my copy. Because they did the work to figure out what was going on in a boomer's mind, what was going on in a boomer's uh, life, that somehow made them believe the church no longer held the answer to God But where we've gotten to now is we're way past that. Our culture now doesn't believe God has the answer, right? So if we continue to keep asking the questions that the builders asked and try to answer, not only do we lose the boomers, we have lost every preceding generation after that, right? If we get comfortable in doing what we want to do and how we do it and how we do church and what church is supposed to look like, what's your relationship with Christ supposed to look like? Is it just be this private little thing that we do by ourselves? 
um, Bill wrote a book called um, Courageous Leadership. And you've, I've used this quote a bunch in here. You might recognize it. In that, in that book, Bill says that the church is the hope of the world and its future rests in the hands of its leaders. Now, you can read that from a couple perspectives. You could read that by saying, okay, I believe the church is the hope in the world. And um, then its future rests in the hands of Charlie. That's not how I read it. I read it, the, the, the future rests in our hands. I prayed for two people in this altar when we had that break. I prayed for two families. If you were paying attention, there were a lot more than two families in this altar. And, and if, if you were so concerned about only me praying for you, we'd still be there. I got a funny story about that, but I don't have time to tell it. So, um, the question that's always challenged me out of Bill's quote was, will I and will the leaders of the church I lead care enough about people in the Great Commission to commit to grow in integrity of heart and skillful hands to those who are separated from Christ? Will I and the leaders of the church I lead care enough about people and the Great Commission to commit to grow in integrity of heart and skillful hands to reach those who are separated from Christ. A postmodern culture is one that has abandoned any sense of an overarching story, an overarching what's called a, a meta-narrative that connects all people together and anchors them to God, and they reject that. No shared story. I don't want you to lose the significance of that, that we no longer have a shared story and so when you don't have a shared story, when you don't have this meta-narrative that takes us from beginning to end, this is what leads to the dislocation and the disconnection of a culture. This is where you get my truth and your truth are our truths. There's no central truth because there's no central story. And this is what we proclaim as Christians, that there is a central story. And it began in creation. And it takes us the arc of history of sin and repentance and restoration. And it's available to all of us, no matter where we come from, no matter what we walk through, no matter what's punched us in our face. And that is this meta-narrative that is rejected. It's rejected. It's not just rejected. Now it's, it's outwardly opposed where you can't even pray, right? You might've seen this in the UK that someone was praying silently outside of an abortion clinic and was arrested for silent prayer. This is the culture in which the Gateway Church was birthed in and that you come to, and I believe the one in which God has planted us, right? planted us securely and we are generations different in here and we're backgrounds different in here. There's, we're all always going to be at a different place in our story and this is a good thing, right? This becomes the, the width and the breadth of who we can connect to Christ that is disconnected and I'll tell you when the, Bill Hybels had an integrity of heart issue and it crushed him. Bobby Knight probably always had an integrity of heart issue based on his history, but winning fixes everything, they say in sports, until you stop winning, and then people will start looking at your integrity. Heck, we even know that David himself had an integrity of heart issue. It doesn't mean that God can't fix it, 
But it does mean that our integrity always matters. Your spiritual integrity always matters. Any point of compromise that the enemy can get you do isn't just about you. It's about eroding another person who stands in the middle of a lost culture and can speak with integrity of heart and with skillful words and skillful hands of service. These are crucial. Um, people, can't you see, and I, I wrote, since I wrote it, this line and I liked it, I'm going to read it. This disconnection from God leaves them, our culture, to fend for themselves um, and unprotected from the crushing consequences of moral and ethical ambiguity. The consequences of having fluctuating morality and ethics is crushing. I don't know what you read or don't read, but I am reading more and more of kids that are in their 20s that are now, they're detransitioning. And they're speaking to the horrors of how they've been led by medical professionals and, and sociolo sociologists and psychologists into just giving in to what are real feelings of disconnection and real feelings of I'm not sure who I am. And they are pushing them and hurting them into this transitioning of gender. And there are more and more people that I'm reading about that are saying, what were you thinking letting us do that? And there's a reason why we don't let kids under 21 drink. Right? There's a reason why we don't let kids under the age of 18 enlist in the armed forces and give them a loaded weapon. In every other scope of time, we understand that kids' brains don't form. <laughs> Some of them just don't form, right? And, <laughs> but, but we all know there's a gap. I mean, you know it medically, right? There's this whatever's in the front and they don't form. Oh, but man, a 13-year-old, a 9-year-old, an 8-year-old, they sure do know what they should be. But where is the integrity of heart and the skillful hands that's going to step into a culture that's lost as a ball in tall weeds, that doesn't buy into this big overarching story, and how are they going to get connected to it? There is one way God designed for them to be connected to that story is to be connected to our story. Amen. That's the design. It's the best I can parse it out. The Great Commission is given to us. So God entrusts this overarching story, this intersection of his story and our story to their story. To their story. So how do we do that? I, because I always try to simplify things. Here are three big ways, I think. One is to believe that your redemption transformation story is a gateway to hope. Your story. Wherever you are in that story, that is a story of redemption and transformation. And that story is a gateway to hope. Live your story loudly. Don't mute yourself. If, if we're worrying about freedom of speech and we're worried about freedom of, of activity, I'd be more concerned about you mute, muting yourself than other people muting you. Unlock yourself first and we'll deal with whatever else comes our way. The second is commit to the ongoing development of your relationship with Christ through, and because this is Gateway Church, I'm going to say it, fresh starts. 
great friends and real purpose, a fresh connection with Christ, shaped in community, a life lived with your head up, the purpose of God in front of you. Because the deeper your relationship with God, the wider your gateway is to hope. The deeper you are, the wider your gateway is. The last is to invite others into your anchored in Christ life as a gateway to hope. We have to share our anchors in our life with others. Do not underestimate the influence of spiritual stability. Spiritual stability, folks, I'm just telling you. Look, I, you know, well, I've been into all kinds of hospital rooms and all kinds of stuff. You know, I think about Drew in particular, guys. You know, their son um, was diagnosed, I guess he was in his early 20s, maybe late teens. Uh, I didn't see you there. Um, Moya Moya disease uh, or something like that where, you know, the capillaries and his brain were just exploding and, and he would just have a, a stroke and, and, and it would just be there. And, and uh, we were going to see it. I was lost, man. I was like, man, I have, honey, I have nothing to offer them. This is so far out of my league. And she's told me, she said, never underestimate the spirit, she didn't say it in this way, but in this context, the spiritual stability, Charlie, when you walk in that room. And I can tell you, I walk into your hospital room, I got nothing other than Jesus. And that's not my call. Never underestimate the power of your spiritual stability when you get into a, a circumstance with someone who has, is everything but stable. And you're worrying about what to say or what to do. I'm just telling you to be there. And that's a good start. Right? The Lord can't give you anything to say or do if you're across town. Invite people into the stability. Pastor, my life isn't stable. I will tell you, if you're holding on to Christ, it's stable. Because you're defining stable as I've got all the answers for every circumstance I find, myself, I find myself in and I'm calm and collected. That is not the stability I'm talking about. I'm talking about I'm in all of that and the wind's blowing and the seas are rising, but I ain't sinking. That's the stability. It's not that nothing that's going on around you. It's you're not sinking when everything else is going around you. Invite others, allow others into to share that stability that you have. So the top three lead-up circles, self, family, and church. I'm going to deal with family next week, but I'm going to leapfrog to get to leading up at Gateway here first. Because this is where when we can maximize all of our life experiences together, we maximize the Gateway people find to Jesus. And contrary to public belief, there are still people that will walk into a church looking for answers. They will tune in to a service looking for answers. But before we ever get to an answer, they want to see, are these people real? A lot of times the question is, can I see myself there? Is there anybody that looks like me there? Will anybody even speak to me there. When we planted Gateway, we moved here, um, May and June, our team moved here. And so July, I think it was, 
or June, we decided we would just all just do our own thing, go to whatever churches, you know, get settled. And then we'll, and then we'll get back together sometime. And it was a very difficult experience. I had never gone to a church before where I wasn't on staff or my family known. And so I stepped out of being in senior leadership at an extremely sizable church in Atlanta for 13 years, and we walked in and realized nobody knew us. We had no reputation, and then people wouldn't talk to us. <laughs> and we, we left that first Sunday, and we went, is it really that hard? Is it really that hard? These are nice people, right? We live in a nice town. This is a nice place, right? And you go, and it wasn't like anybody was rude. They're just too busy for us. Can you appreciate that? They're just too busy for us. So at um, Bonefish Grill, got some crayons. They had the paper they put out on the table. In crayon, I wrote out that we would be a place that would be, our hospitality would be grace-based hospitality. And then I went on to define that. The waitress was always very, she was very interested in when I was writing. <laughs> customer service is about an end game of acquiring a customer, right? Who's in customer service or sales? Raise your hand. Look at all y'all, all right? So it's all about the relationship is going to be based on what they can do for you. And then we bring different levels to that, right? But the bottom line is I'm trying to make a sale or acquire a customer, or we don't have these stats to say, well, how much does it take to acquire a customer in your business? I am very sensitive to being sold. I know when I'm being sold. So is a lot of people. So when someone comes into a church, are we trying to sell them on something? Are we trying to extend hospitality, not because we're hospitable people, but because we have received the grace of God with no strings attached. And that grace that I have received bubbles up inside of me. I want you to have what I have. I don't want what you have. You see the difference? I want you to have what I have. That atmosphere, folks, when we, before we even built this place, we, we said that we, Harry and I went to see an architect. It was interesting, Harry, you might or may not remember. It was downtown Nashville, and it was actually in an old church. And they asked, what do you want it to look like? And this was when we built this other building. And I said, I, I can't give you a lot of answers, but I want something to scream grace. And that's exactly what they looked at me like. And it wasn't long, it wasn't long that Harry and I just said, we probably just need to find another architect. Actually, in that one, we built, we, we drew that one out on a cocktail napkin, no lie. The other one, that's why it was so simple. And just as a, a tag, I don't know, Tar Tyler might not be back there or not, I don't know, but Tyler Marinell was the architect of this place. And the reason why you like walking into this place is because someone understood what it meant to build something that screamed grace. I've had pastor friend after pastor friend after pastor friend walk in this place and go, this makes me just want to take a 
people. Sure, there's prayer in here. Sure, there's spirit-filled people in here. Sure. But you know what? There was also an architecture that was built around how does this place scream grace? One of my favorite windows into the life of the early church is found in the end of Acts chapter 2. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So when I break these verses out, Verses 42 and 43 for me are becoming verses. These are, these are circle one verses. These are verses on, on me leading myself up, right? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayer. They devoted themselves. To me, to me they saw there, there is something that I need from this and I'm going to move what I need to move in order to be devoted to and to sit under these apostles' teaching and to be with everybody. These are how we lead up ourselves, the next few verses to me are doing verses, and they address to me circle three, the church. It says, all the believers were together, had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. It doesn't say they were directed to do that. There was a synergy and a camaraderie among them that when needs were discovered, they addressed it. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. They began leading up in that particular circle that was their church. Now, I get that we, you know, a popular phrase I learned when we were here, first got here, I never heard it before. People said, we want to find people we, we want to do life together. I never heard anybody say that. I was the only child. I, d- I didn't want to do life with anybody other than, uh, other than my wife and my daughter. It just got, got too complicated over that, after that. And, and so what I've seen over the 16 years of Gateway is not everybody is friends in this room. Not even everybody knows everybody's name in this room. That's okay. What's not okay is not knowing someone's name in the room. Right? Because, because you never know who God weaves in and out of your life. And he uses this fellowship to do that. To weave people in and out of our life for seasons of our life. And, and, and what I've discovered is relationships aren't something you wing. Right? I mean, it, it's something that it has to matter. And if it has to matter and you make room for it. And it's not easy making room for people. Not everybody's as charming as I am. And the people that I do life with understand how much of a lie that was. I'm an acquired taste, I can assure you. I can assure you. All right? And then the last, the last of that verse, verse 47b, is a God-doing verse. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The, the response of a people 
that are dedicated and have a target of integrity of heart and skillful hands attract people who need people of integrity in their life and people to address things that they can't address and offer stability and anchors when they don't have any. I, I will contend, I think I've always contend that we don't have to go chasing anybody as long as we'll be open to the people that God brings to our doors. Two reasons. Come on up, team. I, you, you guys beat me. You, you're ahead of me here. You're looking at the clock saying he needs to stop. So they're, they're moving. Um, two personal reasons uh, to lead. One, serving and leading, particularly in our circle here at Gateway, it will ground you. It will ground you. You've heard the African proverb, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. This is not a sprint, right? Life is not a sprint. It's a marathon. And you need people in your corner. You do. We all need people in our corner. And one of the things I found is when we work together, we ground one another. There is something about serving alongside someone that changes you. It's powerful. So serving and leading a gateway will ground you. Serving and leading a gateway will grow you. Well, how, how do I start growing in this spiritual integrity and skillful hands? What, what is a way in which to do that? I'll tell you that serving and leading a gateway will grow you. Proverbs 27, 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so, so one person sharpens another. It's a great verse. People use it a lot for men's ministry. I've never heard anybody in women's ministry ever use that scripture. Although it's, it's, not, it's not gender specific, right? It doesn't say as male iron sharpens iron. As one man throws an ax with another man throwing an ax, right? But when iron sharpens iron, there's sparks. What I, what I have found in pastoral ministry isn't that people won't clash. It's what do you do after you clash? If you run away after you clash, there ain't no sharpening going on. You don't have to agree on everything. But know that the writer of Proverbs knows that you're not going to sharpen a hard piece of iron without an equally sharp piece of iron. So what does sharpen mean? Well, it rubs off the rough places. It takes off the barbs or the burrs that are on other places. This is an important thing to do. Hebrews 10, 23, 25, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love. It, you know, I mean, we're in, we're in horse country. Spur is not a foam rubber ball on the back of the heel of a boot. There, it is metal and it is pointy, which tells me that it takes some of us to get kicked with a spur to begin loving one another. How we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some already back in first century were already in the habit of doing, 
but encouraging one another, building courage into one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. It is in the process of giving and receiving that we do our best growing. Serving and leading at your church extends hope. These are the corporate reasons. When you serve and lead here, you extend hope. Every conversation that you have here extends hope. Every smile, open hand for for a handshake, fist bump, extends hope. If someone comes in gateway and leaves without speaking to anyone, they should have to go through a gauntlet to do it. I promise you. Now I can understand you can overshare and I can understand that you can keep someone from going to lunch and they need to get there because of the reservation and you can tell by their body language they are ready to go. I'm not suggesting that you stop them from going. What I am suggesting is it needs to be their decision, not mine. Does that make sense? If you really know someone you haven't seen in a while and you want to hang out and talk, I understand that. I, I see people, I see you guys in here. Sometimes I only see you once a week. I will stay and talk. But I'll just ask you for me to forgive me if I ever look at you and say, give me a minute and I walk to talk to someone else. Okay? My head is not on a swivel. I'm not looking for a more important person. I'm looking for somebody that I haven't met before so that they can see me and hear me and just say, hey, I'm really glad that you took a chance on us today. And serving and leading in Gateway expands the kingdom of God. It's why we have this welcome home thing. When you come in on the screen, welcome home. It's cheesy, it's Southern, I get it. Yankees don't always like it, you know, but it still doesn't change what we mean, right? It doesn't change that which what we want you to find. We want you to find what's home, some comfort, some, some, some safety, some peace. It's what we want people to find. The architecture is just a, a start. What, what makes it happen is the people. This could be the prettiest place on the planet and you could be the coldest people in the world and ain't nobody gonna find Jesus through us, right? The church is the hope of the world and its future belongs to its leaders. This Serve Team Summit on February 11th isn't just another church activity. It isn't us sitting around thinking about how we can spend a Saturday. I hate doing things on Saturday personally. I do. I, the, 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 the leadership team has to force me to do Saturday night things here because I'm like... I, I don't want to tear this sanctuary down on a Saturday. I don't want to put it back together, together on Saturday. I don't want to be here Saturday night. I, get my, I got my routine. I'm an old man now. I got my routine. I like to get my routine in, do my routine so I can stand up and preach to you on Sunday. This is not just a flippant thing to do. If you're a part of our serve team, this is how we begin growing more skillful hands around what we're called to do. And I get schedules are busy and you can't, not everybody can make that, but if but it's going, to be any, it's going to be anything that's on Hulu that night. Okay? And if you're relatively new to the fellowship and you believe enough in what you've seen that you want to extend grace to other people, come. 
you, I need you to register so I can have food for you, but, but come, all right? Last point. There will always be hurdles to leading up. Satan opposes all God movement. The leaders with the most potential rarely realize it. And it's easier to go with the flow than lead a movement. God is calling us as a body to lead up this year. It's not a comment on how we've done it in the past or how you've led in the past. It's, it's I believe, God inviting us to step up our game. That's what I believe. Step up our game. And I'm asking you to step up your game. If this is your place, find a place. Because there's people every day we want to be prepared for that walk in these doors that need the stability of a life lived in Christ. Can they find that in us? So Father, You, you always surprise me in, in how you call, how you call us, how, how you dip down and find us where we are, hiding maybe from some opportunity or hiding from some response. Lord, this is your place and these are your people. And I pray that we would live up to our name, that each of us would be gateways to other people finding you, and then as a collective body, that we would be that way, that we would be gateways, that we would be a gateway. So Father, shape us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. We hope you were encouraged and challenged by today's message. Again, to learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, find us online at gatewayfranklin.com. Thanks for joining us today.